0: Dr. Katja Gertz knew from age four that she wanted to be a veterinarian. After a brief career in business, she earned her veterinary degree from the University of Hanover in 1999. After graduation, she worked in the pharmaceutical industry for 10 years before starting her own holistic practice. Her practice is currently 80% equine and 20% small animal. She got her chiropractic training through the Backbone Academy, her acupuncture training from Gervas, and craniosacral training through the Upledger Institute. She mentored with Dr. Bruce Ferguson for a month as well. She's also studied kinesiology, Chinese herbal medicine, and neurophysiologic acupuncture. Dr. Gertz has served as president of Gervas and Ivis, as a board member for Ivis, as well as an Ivis House of Delegates representative. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Katja Gertz as we discuss her early interest in veterinary medicine, her time in the pharmaceutical industry, her pivot to holistic practice, and her special interest in therapy. Dr. Gertz, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure.
0: Hey, did you uh, know that you wanted to be a veterinarian when you were young?
1: Well, actually, when I was four years old, I think, I told my parents that I wanted to be either a farmer or a veterinarian. So yes, pretty early.
0: <laughs> did you grow up in a rural area?
1: Yes. Um, I. We moved around a bit, but um, we were always living in villages with like 2,000 to 5,000 inheritance. So I spent a lot of time outside. So basically after kindergarten or after school, um, I did my homework and, and then opened the door and just went outside. And Though my parents were not interested in animals that much, I was. So I was collecting snails outside and tadpoles from the ponds and from the, from the little rivers. And I put them into like little glass containers to see what they're doing and feeding them and watching them grow. Um, maybe not so nice from today's perspective, but yeah, that was how I was back then. And although my mom doesn't one didn't want to i insisted on having pets when i was young so i had a goldfish and a budgie and a hamster and guinea pigs and rabbits and i mean not all together but after each other and i spent a lot of time also with farm animals because we had a little farm right across the street right like a few hundred meters away and um, they had basically dairy cows, but also small um, amounts of every other farm animal one can imagine. Yeah.
0: Uh, and, and did you start riding horses at a young age?
1: Yes, I started vaulting, actually, when I was six and riding when I was eight. And then I even did some competitions, like between maybe 14 and at the beginning of my 30s something i not not regularly but on and off i did competitions in dressage and show jumping and i tried a little bit of western riding also and a little bit of eventing and yeah i'm still riding if i have enough time but to be honest with practice now it's it's not that easy so i don't have a horse on my own anymore but um, I do have some friends around here who have stables and enough horses. So I can basically ride whenever I want. And sometimes I take the time. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's nice to have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So you, you knew you want to be a veterinarian. Did you have any sort of backup plan in case that
1: didn't work out? Yeah. Well, actually, it was veterinary medicine all the time. And Back then, we had to do like an, a test um, before we could enter, um, well, med school or veterinary school. So it was for all the medical um, things like dentistry and um, and uh, human medicine and veterinary medicine. So it's all over Germany. You had to do this one test. Everybody had to do it on the same day and it was the same questions or the same tasks you have to Um, solve Um, so yeah it was veterinary medicine all around but I wasn't so sure in my last year of um of high school and so I thought a little bit left and right about business school or something like that but um and after graduating from high school, I actually um, went into an office job for a year just to, to make sure that's not what I wanted to do. And it wasn't. So after a few months, I got fed up. And then it was pretty clear that it was veterinary medicine. And I started studying in 1993.
0: Oh, that's good. You know, a lot of times it's, uh, it's good to have those experiences to know what you don't want.
1: Yeah, especially if, um, well, the first two years um, of vet school in Germany are pretty hard. So there's a saying that when you finish the exams after the second year in vet school, you become a veterinarian no matter what. So the first two years are really full of exams and like weekly tests and everybody is very strict and they're really, the teachers are really selective about the students. So they want to see that you cannot only learn what they want you to learn, like chemistry and and physics and and anatomy and physiology and stuff, but they also want to see that you can work under pressure. And so it it was really a tough time, and especially as my mom died when I was in the first year of studying. She had breast cancer, and I traveled from bed school to the hospital and back and forth. So it was quite a tough time, so it was good. I was really sure that that was what I wanted to be.
0: Oh, that's that's good. So you did go to Hanover, yes?
1: I'm sorry, I cannot really... Hear you very well right now, no, Neil. Do you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. So now it's better again. I'm sorry, I I missed your last question.
0: That's all right. So you went to Hanover.
1: Yes, I went to Hanover, and there are like five vet schools in Germany, and um, Hanover was my first choice, more for practical reasons than you would say they teach everything, anything specific or are better than the other vet schools in a specific field. So it was relatively close to home back then. And I already knew some people there um, from riding and the schoolmates started a year before me. Um, So I I knew people and that was the reason why it felt kind of familiar and um, yeah, rents were affordable. So that was more practical reasons than intellectual ones that I went there
0: sure how many how many students went through in your class
1: well actually hanover started with 250 first years back then so it was the biggest faculty in germany back then I, i'm not sure how it is today but i i still think they do have more than a 200 in the first year
0: with that many students did it feel large
1: yeah, it felt large. It's it's not really anonymous because you know its um, campus is really nice and like a village or used to be back then. Um, now they have two campuses because they grow bigger and and um, modernized um, the clinics and stuff. But um, looking back for me, one of the sm- smaller vet schools with lesser students and a more personal interchange between students and teachers would possibly have made learning easier for me. But, yeah, well, I mean, I'm a vet today, so I made it anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you did. Hey, if if I read your bio correctly, you did have some exposure to holistic medicine in school.
1: Yeah, I was lucky because... yeah. I mean, like things sometimes happen. I uh, got to get to know a veterinarian who had her practice in Hanover and um, she is board certified in acupuncture and homeopathy. And I spent one afternoon per week and some of the holidays in her practice, just like watching and helping like a student can help. So I got into contact with holistic medicine back then.
0: hmm. That must have been great as a student to see some really interesting cases treated that way.
1: Yes. And actually, I saw a lot of, well, acupuncture and ear, especially ear acupuncture, homeopathy and Bach flowers and some phytotherapy. So it was, and and conventional medicine too. I mean, she did castrations and all the regular stuff. So um, not like on a high level clinic level, but, um, you know, like basic diagnostics. And I think that's important too, that you really learn to diagnose with all your senses and not only with um, imaging and um, lab tests.
0: Yes, it must have been a little frustrating to see how holistic medicine could work into a practice but not get that sort of exposure in school.
1: Yeah, I mean, back then that did not bother me that much. Of course, today I think differently because I think it would be preferable if an introduction to holistic medicine, at least an introduction and its different methods was mandatory in the curriculum and optional integrative classes were at least offered to the students in that school. So they'd had really have a perspective and have a wide horizon and know what different fields are they. And man, I mean, when you look back in history, where does modern medicine come from? It all developed and evolved over time. And herbal medicine, all the traditional healing methods like bloodletting and stuff. I mean, that's, that's where modern medicine evolved from. And maybe if we didn't have the medieval time, herbology would be even greater in Europe than it is. So,
0: yeah. That makes sense. Did I, did I see that you did some teaching while you were in school as well?
1: yeah. Sharing knowledge with other people, you know, is one of my favorites. I mean, um, some people call me a smart ass for that. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, you can you can see it both ways. So I really like to like to let people know what I what I know myself and um, other people say that I'm a good teacher so that I can really transport things. And yeah. Um, so when I was back in, in vet school, there was a physiology lab for biology and veterinary students, and the instructors for the different experiments were third year veterinary students, so um, I was one of them. So I did that for one semester. And then I worked at Hanover Zoo as a um, zoo ranger where we um, where we did tours for kids. And explained the zoo animals to them. And we also were available for guests um, who had questions about the animals. So yeah, teaching teaching is a is a big thing in my life. Mm-hmm.
0: Teaching helps, it seems, to uh, reinforce your own understanding too.
1: Yes, I mean, it did back then and it still does today. So if I'm preparing a lecture for a conference or a webinar or even prepare a quiz for students or stuff. It's, it's. I mean, you always do literature research to see what's, what's current um, state of the, of science. So um, you see if something new came up and that, that's how you educating yourself, right?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you have an idea if you want to do larger small animal medicine when you get out of school?
1: Yeah. When when I left bed school, I knew some things for sure, which I did not, not want, actually. Um, I knew that I did not want to be a surgeon because I had never been really good at it. And I was always scared during surgery, something might go wrong. So um, that was not my thing. And I had problems with um, in small animal surgery with the temperature and the, the carbon dioxide back breathing under the mask and stuff. So I passed out a few times because my blood pressure was too low. So I, I knew that I didn't want it to be a surgeon. Um, I knew that, or back then I thought that I would never do equine medicine because horses were my hobby and, um, I didn't, yeah, want to become an equine vet knowing that I wouldn't have time to ride anymore. So, um, yeah and then, of course, I already knew that there were so many people in our profession that ended up overworked, underpaid, and burned out and when we're looking at the suicidal rates today, I think it's that's still an issue and and I never wanted i mean you know having having my mom dying in the when I was so young and seeing that she had should have had had so much left of her life when she passed i wanted to really enjoy my days and in, enjoy my life and love what i do so i never I, I wasn't really sure if i wanted to go to practice anyhow so long story short uh, long story short i did some job interviews in small animal hospitals um which were a waste of time for both parties, I guess, because I wanted to do internal medicine or specialize in internal medicine. And they basically were looking for somebody who was willing to do everything from the routine surgeries and emergency cases. And, and of course, would be able to be on call like every other day and every other weekend. And um, all that from the beginning on without any real backup and basically a small salary. So yeah. So beside the work- workload and less than minimum wages, I really did not feel capable of that. So I, I would always I would have always been um, scared that I might lose a patient, that it would be my fault and I didn't feel comfortable. So I decided against going into practice back then. So what did you do? I started a career in the pharmaceutical industry, so I really took a completely, I mean, not a completely different path because of course my education and my training allowed me to do that job or those jobs, but I went into the pharmaceutical industry.
0: And what did you do in the pharmaceutical industry?
1: Well, I started as a sales rep for a big pet food company selling um, special diets to veterinarians. And after that, I had various positions um, from sales representative over key account manager, training manager, and medical marketing manager. Always for very innovative human pharmaceutical companies uh, who had their own R&D department. Um so, during that time, I covered a lot of fields, but mainly I worked in neurology and ophthalmology. And um, the last or the longest um, position I had was for a monoclonal antibody against uh, age-related macular degeneration and diabetic retinopathy. So, that was quite an innovative thing, and it was really challenging, and it was interesting and thrilling. So. I really had fun doing that job. So um, all of these jobs were basically about transferring knowledge to either co-workers like marketeers or sales reps or directly to the MD. So I was kind of messenger between R&D and marketing and the customer. Um, And I analyzed clinical data and made it easy to digest for different sorry, for different target groups. So um, yeah, it, it was a really, really nice job and um, I really enjoyed it.
0: That must have really uh, satisfied your desire to, to be a teacher.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I mean, it was a great time. I enjoyed a lot. I had so much contact with people and I learned a lot about business and economics. I mean, nobody's telling you that in that school. So learning about that was a big advantage um, that came with the time in the industry.
0: Interacting with a lot of different doctors and medical professionals must have been a, g- a great experience as well, right?
1: Yeah, not only doctors, but people of all kind, like nurses and tax and co-workers. I mean, which it, it helps a lot today when dealing with the clients or well, you know, being in a in a bored situation or whatever. Um, I mean, I'm not known as the diplomatic, most diplomatic person on this world. I'm pretty straightforward sometimes, and um, yeah, that can can be challenging not only for other people but for yourself if you're not well feeling accepted because you might choose the wrong word. So, um, this is really something that. I learned during the time in the industry, and um, I think that as a holistic veterinarian, we are not only dealing with the animal itself, but we also have to communicate with the patient owners, and it's so important because um, they affect the animal and its well-being so much, you know, so we're kind of psychologists in our job.
0: Oh, I totally agree. So when did you decide that you wanted to go into clinical practice?
1: Well, so after almost 10 years, and it was not that I wasn't satisfied with my job or not successful, it was, well, the other way around, but I felt like not completely happy. So um, from I, I attended a seminar about self-reflection, and after that, I figured that the reason that I was unhappy was mainly that I was not self-determined, and of course, that I well, did not study veterinary medicine in the first place to only deal with people and not have to do with animals anymore. So don't have direct contact. And so I was thinking, what can I do now that I'm out of practice or curative practice for 10 years? I mean, I, I cannot go into practice and pretend that I'm a good equine or small animal vet. So. Um, I called a colleague and a friend who I know from studying, and I knew that she had opened her practice for chiropractic and acupuncture a few years earlier. And I asked her about her courses and her training and how she set up her practice and how it's going and stuff like that. And then I came home and decided, well, maybe that would be a good idea and talked about it with my husband. I mean, he was, of course, puzzled as I told him I'm going to quit my... Very well-paid job in the industry and go into practice, but after we discussed it, he was he was just seeing that I might be happier with that, yeah. And so I I quit my job. I had a period of notice for, of six months, um, and during that six months, I did my chiropractic training at the Backbone Academy, and then started my acupuncture training right after that in September 2009 with Jervis and my own business in November 2009. So, yeah, and what I was really lucky about was that when I left the industry, I, they did not find a replacement for my job right away. So I kept working for the company as a freelancer Um, on an hourly basis for almost three years and that helped a lot opening my practice with any financial pressure so it was a big relief that I could start I mean I had to start from scratch right there was nobody knowing me in the area as I never have worked in practice before so only the people that knew me or who knew me were the ones that were in the same riding club and the same stable where I kept my horse back then so it was really I was really lucky I mean how things went in the end it's it's kind of winding road but it ended up well so I'm really I'm really grateful and I'm a very very lucky and happy person
0: yeah oh that's great hey did you like the backbone program
1: yeah, I did. I did very much actually. Um, back then, um, I'm not sure how it is today, but back then, Backbone Academy was the only school in Germany that was accredited by both the AVCA and the IVCA. So, um, and the program had a big focus on neurology, and for me, it was for the understanding how things energetically work. I mean, you never hear of that in, in vet school. So, repeating all the anatomy and all the physiology and especially the neurophysiology neurophysi- helped a lot and it was very hands-on and we were only 12 students in my course so it was really intense and um, actually I liked it so much that I became an instructor there right after my course for about four years and I would have I continued but my practice was occupying me so much that I could not afford um, traveling Um, so far and being away for so long.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you started your practice, did you do uh, regular medicine and complementary medicine or just, just the holistic stuff?
1: I just do um complementary medicine and I started um like that back then uh, so I never did any conventional medicine that said that said I'm always trying to be up to date with the co- conventional medicine so I'm attending conventional congresses as well as holistic ones because I think you have to have the background so um yeah um so I'm not denying conventional medicine at all, because I think the best of two worlds is what really is the best for the patients.
0: I, I, I totally agree. So how, how do clients find you?
1: Well, of course, I do have a website and I usually ask clients how they found me when they're new. Um, and some people, maybe like, I don't know, 10, 20% um, say that they Googled me um but over the years i get more and more referrals from other vets now that they recognize that i'm making a good i'm doing a good job and that they can be sure i'm not offering anything they do so i'm not doing any vaccinations or deworming or regular stuff so i even have my lab work done by them so usually i tell clients if i want to have a lab um, or blood work i tell them um, to ask their regular vet to do it for me and then send me Um, the results. So, yeah, but I think most, most clients come by word of mouth. So I don't know, the trainer telling the dog owner or the horse owner, they should call me or just, just um, patient owners who are satisfied telling their friends. So that's the way it goes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's often the best way. Mm -hmm. Now you trained with uh, Dr. Ferguson too. Yes.
1: Yeah, I uh, met Dr. Bruce Ferguson when he was the keynote speaker of the Iwas uh, Congress in Galway in Ireland in 2012. And um, I listened to his lectures and found them very inspiring. So what he was teaching and I, I had the the impression that he was a really great teacher and that he was willing to share his knowledge. So um, I asked him if it was okay for him that I come to Australia and spend some time with him and his fellow Dr. Marisa Chen at Murdoch University in Perth. Yeah, and I went there in um, November, December 2012 for four weeks.
0: Oh, that must have been a lovely experience.
1: Yeah it was great and I'm I'm really really thankful I could make that experience. I mean Australia is such a great country with so many different cultures and people from all over the world. And Drs. Ferguson and Chan were both great and dedicated teachers. And I learned a lot about acupuncture and herbs and prolotherapy and horses and dogs. And I mean, my my uh, really one of the experiences I had, I mean, it was 40 degrees some days because, um, of course, it was summer in Australia. And we had one uh, German shepherd who had an cauda um, equina syndrome and they did moxa on that dog um, in the middle of the day by with 40, 40 degrees Celsius. And that was when I learned that you can use moxa to move things around even when it's warm outside. So even if it's young energy, so yeah, that was, that was one of the great experiences. So um, but That said, I must say that I would really like to mention Dr. Ina Gersmaier here because she is my mentor for almost 11 years now. And she's working with TCVM, herbs and acupuncture, for I think about 30 years now and was part of the veterinary team for the German Olympic riders. So she's the one who always supported me as a person and a veterinarian. And I owe most of my knowledge about sports horses um, to her. And she's certainly the person who has still a big influence on my work and, of, and on me as a person, too. So um, I really, really owe her a lot um, because she's really supported me for the last 10 years, more than 10 years now. I must say, when we're broadcasting this and, and young, veterinarians might listen i would really encourage everybody who starts a career in holistic medicine to find themselves a mentor they can consistently work with and learn from because it's invaluable to have somebody one can rely on for advice and support
0: it really is it really is important i'm glad you said that hey i know i know you have some special interests can we talk for a minute about a haruda therapy
1: yeah, um hydrotherapy. <laughs> Does everybody know what that is? So I'm using medicinal leeches. Um Yeah, um, after I have given a talk at the vet lab about that at the Ivis Congress in Breckenridge, Dr. Sinha Bibi actually called me the leech lady. She always, every time I entered the room, she was, oh, there's the leech lady. Um, Yeah, so yeah, I like to use medicinal leeches for certain conditions like um, navicular disease in horses or suspensory ligament injuries, hematomas, of course, so acute acute, um, and chronic hematomas. For degenerative joint disease in in dogs, and for wound healing, if there are complications or scar tissue, this is that is really bad. Um, And and pulling, you know, putting a strain on on underlying structures or having when the when the animals having problems with scar tissue the leeches help too and of course after tooth extractions they are also helping with the healing process so um i like leeches for certain conditions and they have a steady place in my practice but it's quite time consuming to use them so ideal is if uh, one has a small animal practice to place the leeches and leave the patient in the room with um, the owner or nurse to supervise, I mean, or to, to to look at them, to look after them. If it's an equine patient, I really try to train the owner how to do the therapy themselves so that they can repeat the treatment if necessary. Uh, but of course, it's crucial to me that the veterinarian makes the diagnosis and makes sure that hybridotherapy is indicated at all in that specific case so it always has to be a professional that makes the diagnosis and indicates the treatment but uh, or initiates the treatment Um, but yeah you know you have to have some time to do it and overall my main focus in practice is yeah is on acupuncture and even more on herbs
0: sure Wow, oh, that's fascinating! Hey, t- uh, talk for a few minutes if you can about your involvement in organized veterinary medicine.
1: Yeah, um, I'm an active member, especially of Ivers, and um, but also some other acupuncture and holistic veterinary groups um, in Germany as well as internationally. Um, for some reasons, first of all, I like to traveling or you know, like traveling and getting to know places and people all over the world. Um second, I think it's important that network globally and generate scientific evidence for our specialties and exchange knowledge for the good of the profession and our patients. So I think it's really important that we all work together. I mean, everybody can learn from everybody else, so it should it should really be a network and intertwining and that's that's how we how we move on and that's how we thrive. So um, yeah, I really, I really think we need organizations like IVAS and CIVT to promote our profession and create awareness that alternative medicine is a valuable asset to medicine, particularly as we are facing crisis, like the current pandemic and antibiotic resistance and make sure and let people know that we can have the best of both worlds evidence and energetics i mean it's not one or the other it's not either or it's it's both so yeah i i think that's something everybody should do if they can spend some time and help with these organizations because of course there have to be people to do those jobs and run these organizations and it seems to become less popular these days to be involved with organized veterinary medicine so I decided to try and do my bit and most of the time it's fun though it's work too of course I mean it's certainly work but it's it's really fun meeting people and seeing that you can make a difference. And I would really like to encourage people to join a group that suits their interests and become involved with, with professions and, and help bringing things forward.
0: I agree. That's, that's a good, uh, good lesson. Get involved. Well, I, I think that's a good spot for us to stop for now. So I really appreciate you taking the time. It was great to uh, chat with you. And I'm looking forward to uh, wrangling in you into doing some webinars for us at CIVT.
1: That's great. I'm really looking forward to it. And thank you for having me.